What's going on, everybody? This is Jerome Moore, host and creator of Deep Dish Conversations. And firstly, I want to say thank you for all of support and thank you for exploring the perspectives of social change with me on this platform. I want to encourage you all to like, subscribe, and follow us on YouTube and on your favorite podcast listening platform. And make sure you give us a five-star rating if you're loving the Deep Dish Conversations. I appreciate all of the support again. I hope you all enjoy this episode. It's an honor to have um, the uh, criminal court clerk, Nashville native, um, Howard Gentry Jr. And I just have to preface this because, you know, I told you off air, but I want to say it on air too. Um, the representation, the power, um, the inspiration that you've had uh, on me personally, but I know other Nashvilleians that grew up here um, from, from babies up until grown men, young adults, young women today, um, especially as a black man, me being a black man, I really appreciate everything that you've stood for, that you've done, the strive that you made, and opened up doors for people like myself to get in um, governmental positions, inspired to be in governmental positions here in Nashville, uh, civic engagement. And so I just have to preface it like that and so people really understand um, how important this is for me um, as a Nashvillean um, and not, this is our first time formally meeting, so Thank you for that, uh, Mr. Gentry. Thank you for being here. Um, how's life? <laughs> <laughs> how's life? Well, first, I want to I, I want to thank you for for that intro. And, and you know, uh, as I was growing up, uh, I, as I started maturing, because mm. I really needed to mature as I grew <laughs> up, uh, I really uh, started uh, dropping on my knees, and 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 I really asked God for a simple thing, and that is that I could grow into a person that a young person would want to be like mm -hmm. and, 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 and would respect. I figured if that, if that happened, then I'm doing something right, right. and I'm doing something good uh, for the community and for other people. And to hear you say that, it makes me feel like at least I'm moving in that direction even though I'm getting older, right. and uh, that's, what, that's what drives me. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, what's going on? You know, what's going on right now is, is life, right. uh, and life does go on right. until it ends, and right. and and so you have to go on with life. Mm -hmm. And so what's going on with me is I try to do as much as I can uh, for for others. Uh, people say all the time, "Well, you got to think about yourself." I always think about myself because what drives me is doing for others, mm. and so. Um, you know, people ask me sometimes, are you lonely in leadership positions? Yeah, I get lonely sometimes. Are you, uh, do you ever get tired uh, being in politics or being in these leadership positions? And I say, really, no, I don't get tired. I get frustrated sometimes. I, I'm human. Right. But, um, but I don't get tired because if I left office, I'd still keep doing the same thing I do. Right. I have built a life that does not stop at politics. Politics is not my life. Politics right. is my platform right, right now. Right. And it's a God-given platform because I sure didn't plan it this way. Yeah. Nashville native. Mm -hmm. And I want to make it known, too, this is the first day of Black History Month. Yes, yes. Which I think is monumental, knowing your family history um, and just the, um, the activism um, and the roles that they played here yes. in Nashville, which I think is you know critical that we talk about and we bring up. And we was talking a little bit you know before we got started, but I want to retouch on it. And you said, say, hey, you know, you've been through, you've seen, yeah. you know, rougher times. Yeah. Um, break that down for us and kind of what you're seeing today in our social climate and the social constructs that we under compared to what you've seen, what you grew up, yeah. you know, with your parents being who they were and what they did here in the Nashville, uh, boots on the ground, work. Yeah, well, here's the deal. You know, um, I say this especially to young black men when I'm talking to them when they say, well, they, they won't let me do this. They, 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 they say I can't do that. Look, they, that person, can't tell you what you can't do or even what you can do. Uh, I grew up at a time, and even my parents grew up in worse times than me, where the law said I couldn't. Mm -hmm. The law said I couldn't eat at a restaurant. The law said I couldn't go to school. The law said I couldn't swim in the swimming pool. That was the law. 
Right. So we're living in a time right now that's, I, I've never seen times like this, but the truth is we've come through worse times mm -hmm. as a race. Right. And nobody, there's no law that says you can't do anything. So if people are telling you you can't do it, if people are trying to suppress you, then you fight through it. Mm -hmm. And then there are other people who can't fight through it because they are victims of an oppressive system. Right. And you got to help those people fight through it. Right. And so the fight just continues. So uh, the fact is that, yes, Nashville wasn't friendly to me when I was born. I'll be 70 years old on February the 4th, and it was not friendly to me. And, and, but, but I saw people fight through that, right. and, and, and I saw a, a community start a fight, but then it became uh, um, a nation fighting, mm. and, and then it turned into a culture of, of strife against uh, these types of, of laws and what have you, and they succeeded. Right. And so I was able to grow with Nashville, and Nashville was able to grow with me. And when I was a little kid, 12, 13, 15, 19, right. I never dreamed that I would be one of the first African Americans elected right. countywide because I never thought about that. I just thought about succeeding uh, where I was and right. what I was doing. I wanted to be a professional football player. I, I wanted to graduate from college. Those were my right. dreams. I wanted to follow my dad's footsteps and become athletics director at Tennessee State, which I did. Right. But I didn't plan to be the first African-American elected uh, countywide. But as I think back, I was in the first group of kids that swam in uh, Centennial Park swimming pool. Wow. Uh, I, along with Walter Overton, a guy named Robbie Cobb and Daniel Bender, integrated Little League Baseball in Nashville. And my Boy Scout troop, along with Troop 97 in St. Vincent, integrated uh, Camp Boxwell. Wow. So I guess growing up, right. we were being, uh, um, I guess, tooled right. to be able to take on these roles and, and, and do things. And in the meantime, we're watching other people take those huge steps. Right. Uh, Martin Luther King was not a story. It was not a speech. It was not a march. Martin Luther King was a real person that came to my church right. that I got to see. Uh, Stokely Carmichael, I got to see him. These people who, uh, yeah, I said Stokely Carmichael. Yeah. People say he was he was foolish. No, he was, he was foolish all right, right, but in a good way. Right. But I got to see John Lewis when he was young. I got to see Jim Lawson uh, when they were young. And and Bernard Lafayette and right. and all these uh, leaders and so you know y'all had a lot of it, you was in the fight and yeah. you was you was and so what does the fight look like today for us because and for for my generation it seems like what we go back and look at is like well most of our leaders that we had during civil rights specifically. Um, or have have passed through the old age, were assassinated, murdered because of the change mm -hmm. they was fighting for, mm -hmm. um, or we just we don't hear, we don't know about them, right? Yeah. We don't know about them, and so a lot of times on the surface, it's, it seems like it's harder for us to to recognize and see the fight that we need to still be fighting for because it's not as dramatized, it's not at your front doorstep. People are not like it's not laws. Uh, in place saying you can't go into this restaurant or you can't go into this swimming pool. What, do you, what, what are your thoughts on that? You know, right now, it's a lot of noise. Mm -hmm. Now, it's real. Right. It's real because we see the results. Right. But it's a lot of noise. See, I grew up, if, if somebody told you uh, that they were going to beat you up or something, you hit them in the mouth. You don't wait. And walk around and wait for somebody to beat you up. Right, right. You punch you know, first. Yeah, you just you just go. Right. And but if somebody just keeps talking, 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 you just move on. Right. Because all they're gonna do is talk. Well, I hear a lot of hollering and screaming, and so and I'm not talking about marchers and mm -hmm. and because I think the march and the protest have made a difference and do mm -hmm. make a difference. But I'm talking about those folk. That, that, that don't want us to succeed, that don't right. want us to, 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 to uh, do better, get better. Mm -hmm. They're just screaming and hollering. And, and, and even though they're, it's real, right. I just move through that, man. I, I just, uh, I'm not going to allow uh, 
a per if you don't like me, that's okay. Right. I just don't care. Right. But but what I see now is fear. I see a a population that is afraid of what America is coming to. And America is blended now. Right. It's blended. And it's going to become more blended. And people are afraid who have been in power, who have been privileged or what mm -hmm. have you. They're afraid right. that they're going to lose ground, that they're going to lose something. But see, we weren't raised that way. Right. We're, we're not trying to take anything from you. We're just trying to get some. Right. And so it's enough for everybody. And so... You've got a lot of fear, a lot of shouting, a lot of posturing. Mm -hmm. uh, politics now have taken on a role that people just refuse to work together. That's on both sides of the aisle. Right. And it creates roadblocks politically. But I still believe that the people are the strength of our nation. Right. And the people can make the difference. And we just got to come together and just believe that we can. Right. And don't get caught up in all the chatter and all the... All right. the the politics of it. Pivoting a little bit into politics. Um, now we seeing, I think especially in Nashville, more than ever, a lot of um, people of color, black folks, mm -hmm. being, being able to win a lot of these political mm -hmm. offices, uh, whether it's school board, whether it's councilmen or women. Yeah. Um, whether it's in the mayor's office, um, elected judges. Um, but on the flip side of that, too, you're seeing a lot of community being a, a lot of community seeing this representation, this symbolism of like, OK, change. But it seems like it's not trickling down systemically to social and economic change for those poor folks, black folks, marginalized communities here in Nashville. Um, what are your thoughts on that when it comes to that trickle down and and that that representation versus real power? Um, excuse me, I just something's in. No, that's all right. That piece of hair was was is somewhere. Okay, I'm sorry to mess you no, up. No, uh, no, 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 no. You didn't mess it up. Uh, you might think I'm crying. I haven't gotten to that point yet. <laughs> um, but here's the deal, and people might disagree with me. Well, you know, most of the people disagree with me aren't me. They haven't been where I've been. Right. I've been in this political world for 20 years now, more. And, and I've been a black man in this political world, and I've been the first in every office I've ever held. So, uh, yeah, uh, you might not agree with me, but you also don't see it from, through my eyes because right. I've been there. Um, you still got to give it time. Okay. It's not like... We have been in these offices forever. In, in Nashville, it wasn't until 1999. Mm. 1999. And you say, oh, uh, uh, 2009, that's 20-something years ago. But, but we're talking about a nation that's, right. that's hundreds, hundreds of years, years old. old. Yeah. All right, to 1999 till we had an African-American elected countywide. Now, we have about 18 of us now. Right. But... They all came after me right. and Carolyn Tucker, who opted to come out of politics after her first term. Um, but it's not, it hadn't been that long. Right. And sometimes we have this expectation is once a person of color gets in the office, things are going to change. Well, you can't change a system mm. overnight. Mm. Now, I'm not giving excuses because we do have some people that don't, uh, don't pull the weight, so to speak. But that's on both sides. Right. And so our expectations should always be high, but our criticisms are a little too high because it's going to take years to dismantle something that has been in place for hundreds of years. So that doesn't give anybody an excuse. Right. But, but sometimes the small victories mm -hmm. are really huge victories. And we just got to keep going and keep 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 fighting at it. Right. So, so uh, the communities should be. You know, somebody said to me one time, "Well, uh, you're in office. Uh, uh, what have you done for me? <laughs> I, I won the election. Right. That's what I did for you. Right. When I became 
uh, councilman at large. I was the first. Now we got others. Right. When I became vice mayor, I was the first. Right. We don't have another vice mayor, but still it's a countywide elected office. Right. We got others. When I became criminal court clerk, constitutional officer. You was the first. I was first. We got others. I right. won. Right. So, I mean, I know you want more from me, and I'm doing more. Right. But, but, and I don't think just because I won, it's enough. But how do you ask me that question after I win? Right. I'm there. I'm in the office. Right. And, 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 and hopefully that gives you hope, that gives you uh, encouragement that you can do it or that it can be done. Right. And then together right. we'll use this office to make it stronger and, 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 and do great things. What have been some of your other um, criticisms that you might have received um, and barriers, right? <laughs> <laughs> being the being the first, being in a majority, you know, being in the conservative state one, but also being in a majority um, white city hmm. um, and trying to make these strides because you know, we see the end result a lot of times, right? Yeah. Um, outside yeah. of maybe your family and your personal uh, yeah. friends and peers that, right. that that you're talking to, like, hey, I I don't know, you know, I don't know how this gonna go down, but you know, could you share with this just uh, some of those some of those barriers, some of those challenges, whether it may be externally, internally, mm -hmm. um, yeah. that you've had with the Nashville community making these strides. This is deep dish, right? Yeah, well, let's get deep. So, so I'm, I'm going deep on both sides on the white community and my own community. Let's go. First, I'm going white. Um, the first, I always had to deal with the question, uh, does, does, can he do it? Does he have enough experience? Okay, I did it, I won, and now I got the experience. Uh, you've never done it, so how do you question my experience? And most people, that win a political office locally don't have experience, so why question me? Right. But anyway, uh, the, 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 the more difficult one for me to, um, to deal with, especially when I ran for mayor, was to be told that the fear of supporting me is that I was gonna turn government black. Mm. And of course, the immaturity in me at that time was, my response was, but it's okay if it's all white. And of course, I had to re, re right. You know, if I'm going to go back and forth like that, I cannot, I cannot help right. and create a better situation. Right. You have to understand the fear. You have to understand the concern. It's out of ignorance. It doesn't mean they're dumb, stupid. They just don't know. Right. And so you have to work through that. But that was one of the hardest. Then with my community, the only way you can win countywide in Nashville is you got to get a whole bunch of white votes. Right. You got to get the majority of the black votes, but you got but we're only 28%. Right. So you got to get a whole bunch of white votes and then I get the whole bunch of white votes and they say, "Well, you know, he's the white man's uh candidate." Right. You know, in my own community or or some tokenism. Yeah. Or uh again you're dealing with ignorance, so you, they just don't understand politics. You got to get those votes to win or you can't. Right. Or, um, uh, well, uh, he doesn't care anything about us. He's, he, he's not, uh, uh, I never see him. Well, see, the problem with that is you never saw me if you never see me because we might live in different communities. We might live on different parts of town. But if you go to Sweats a couple of days a week, You'll see me because right. I've been going there all my life. Right. Uh, I've lived in North Nashville for 70 years. Right. Everywhere I moved, College Hill to, to Haynes Manor to, to back to College Hill. Uh, I started in Oldcrest when it was first built. Mm. And, and I live on Kings Lane now. So maybe we just don't cross paths sometimes. Or, right. But how does that turn into I never see him in the neighborhood. I never see right. him in the community. Where am I if you don't see me in the community? Because right. that's, that's the only place I've ever lived. But where you see me is on TV. You see me somewhere else right. out of the community. So you assume, a lot of people assume I live in Green Hills or Bellevue or somewhere. But the fact is that, again, again, I cannot 
even though I'm voicing this, I'm just letting you know that the pressure comes from both sides. Right. And then when you're in a leadership role, you have to take stances a lot of times. And mm -hmm. when you do, uh, everybody is not in agreement with those stances. So those people who are not in agreement are going to always have negative things to say about you. So I don't get mad, man. Has I your, just understand. In that, has your has your because we because we are we we are harder on our black elected yeah. officials, right? For for a lot of reasons, right? We we're just harder, and sometimes with that hardness that we put on our black leaders in general, um, it's questioning their blackness. Yeah, has that ever been? Has that ever occurred? <laughs> with you and what is what did that look like what did that sound like all my life man when i grew up when i my first few years i lived uh close to uh ellison place and that was during segregation so we couldn't go to ellison soda shop crystal couldn't swim in the swimming pool couldn't go to certain parts of centennial park right but then on the other side uh was black neighborhood down charlotte and in in the neighborhood i lived in so it started at a young age. I had curly hair. And so uh, when I would go up to Ellison's place, uh, they called me the N-word. Mm. My nickname in my community was White Boy. Wow. So I've been dealing with this, and it, it really it, it has affected me in my life because I didn't like being called White Boy. I didn't like being called the N-word. So where am I? Right. You know, who am I? What am I? You know, and I got to let my friends play with me because everybody got a nickname. Right. If you look like a frog, you can name frog. You right. know, I mean, it's just. <laughs> right. So that was my nickname. Mm. And uh, uh, but so I grew up with that. And that's always been a problem to me. But as I've gotten older, not older, as I got more mature, right. I started using it uh, to uh, to an advantage. In other words, I was used to it. Right. So I don't let that bother me. I don't let the criticism. If I get a criticism from from the black community, I pay attention to it. Right. I acknowledge it within myself. If it's got merit, I I I, I respond to it personally. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't, then I have to let it go because I know that I made the right decision. If I get criticism from the white community, it it goes the same. So right. the fact is that I have learned through the fire right. to deal with it and understand that what people think about me is important, but what I do is more important. Going back to kind of how you grew up a little bit, mm -hmm. some would say, you know, you have famous parents, you know, especially okay. if you're here from Nashville. Some would say right. you have highly recognizable, known parents, mother, civil rights activist, father, yeah. TSU, Sports Hall of Fame, mm -hmm. athletic director, got a building named out of them. Yeah. <laughs> the Gentry Center. Yeah. Right? Um, big shoes to fill, some yeah. might think, right? Things to live up to, mm -hmm. expectations. Um, take us inside of the Gentry home growing <laughs> up uh, here in Nashville. Man, when I tell this story, and I'll try to do it brief, uh, people are just taken aback. So let me take you aback. Yeah, take me aback. So yeah. my parents are first generation free. Mm, what? My grandfather's, my great grandfather's, oh. no, my great great grandfather on my father's side, my great grandmother on my father's side, and my, my great grandmother and grandfather on my mother's side were the slave owners. My father was the was born in my grandparents were born into slavery on both sides of my family. Wow. My mother came, was the youngest of thirteen, and they grew up sharecroppers. My mother's mother died at childbirth of the fourteenth, and my mother was nine months old. And my grandfather uh, drank a lot and he could not take care of thirteen kids. So the older kids started taking care of the younger kids. And they dispersed all over the, uh, all over the United States. Their name was Laughlin. They were from Sparta, Georgia. The brothers went to, to uh, Boston, 
far as they could and changed the name to McLaughlin and brought the family through. So my mother lived with sisters and brothers all her life. And she was first generation college because when she graduated from high school, she was getting ready to work in this dance studio that she had been working in. Right. And her sister told her, no, you were going to Howard University. She didn't even know what Howard University was. My father was the youngest of 11. And his dad died when he was a kid. And his dad was born into slavery. Mm. And, and he was raised, his mother, mother died when he was a freshman in college, but he was raised basically by his big brothers and sisters and grew up in Columbus, Ohio. So both my parents grew up very poor. Right. And my dad wasn't going to college because he wanted to go to Ohio State, but Jesse Owens was there, who was a good friend of his. Right. And they said they had the quota of, 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 of colored people at that time. So my dad went to work at a, a hotel as a, a doorman and sold uh, liquor out of his pocket for the people and, right. and, 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 and uh, escorted prostitutes to the rooms. For wow. the uh, for the uh, tenants. So anyway, uh, he ended up going to Florida and M because Jake Gaither heard about him at FAMU mm -hmm. and came by the house and told his mother and his brother that he wanted him to come to Florida and M. His brother packed the bag, put his own suit in there and pair of shoes. And my dad came home from work. They said, "You're going to Florida and M." My dad said, "I don't want to go south," but they made him go. My mother ended up going to college at Howard because they made her go. Right. And they met at North Carolina A&T. And then they got married. And after nine months of knowing each other, and then my dad was a football coach, went back to Ohio State, went back to Ohio, Columbus, got his master's at Ohio State because he, was, he had gone to the military, right. second lieutenant. But anyway, let me shorten this up. Uh, he was coaching at Central State. They beat Tennessee State in the Capitol Classic. Mm -hmm. They wanted to hire the head coach. The head coach said, no, you need Gentry. He's the one that beat you. And in 1949, he was hired at Tennessee State. So this football coach and this dance instructor, right? everybody talks about the Gentry, uh, uh, how, how rich and powerful my family is. This dance instructor right. and this assistant football coach moved to Nashville in 49. And my dad moved up the ranks to head coach, won national championship, then athletics director through the golden years. My mom ended up teaching dance at TSU and was the first director of the majorettes, which is called the Sophisticated Ladies now. Right. And that's who my parents were. Wow. But what they did, they built from being school teachers and athletics director they built what they what we have as a family. When we came to Nashville, when I went to high school, there was only four of us here. That was my mom, my dad, my sister, and me. Right. We have huge families, but they lived in other cities. Right. But my parents uh, worked very hard, and they did get involved in the civil rights movement. My mom did very deep into it, mm -hmm. and because they believed they they were fighting against what happened to them as they grew up. Right. And, 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 and just be real about it. Their grandparents were raped. Their grandmothers were raped right. by the slave master. And that's right. how they got here. So it does kind of conflict you a little bit because right. if it hadn't been for the rape, we wouldn't be here. Right. But that ain't good enough, y'all, right. to, to, to make me say it's okay. Right. But the fact is, that's how the gentry started. So my parents worked, worked their tails off to build a, to, 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 to not build a good name here because they already came, their, their families were strong. Right. But to maintain a good name and live a life of integrity and, and, and serve the community. And that's who they really were. How did that, growing up in a household, seeing all that as a young man, how did that affect you um, into the role that you're in now? Because you said, hey, you, you know, I'll just, you know, go play, you know, football, go to the NFL possibly, yeah. you know, and now you're in the role, many roles that you've done now politically here in Nashville. Subconsciously, do you, do you think seeing a lot of that that they've done in the community, you know, led you into what you're doing today? Oh, man, it's, look, it's who I am. Mm. All the way I tell people all the time, Tennessee State University is responsible for everything I am. 
North Nashville is too, because I got my education in North Nashville. Right. All the way through college in two degrees, uh, North Nashville. But um, the fact is, not just my parents, but the times we lived in. Because right. it wasn't just my parents. Right. It was it was the leaders in the city that were uh, the Avon Williams and the Lubies right. and all those people. I, they were friends of our families, and so right. I got to I got to sit at the dinner table and listen to them talk and and listen to them plan and and understand that it's bigger right. than just emotions. Right. It's got to be a plan. And so I watched great African Americans plan mm-hmm. for freedom. Wow. Plan for rights. Right. And it came to fruition. I was told as a young person when I couldn't do the things because of the law that I wanted to do, that there was going to come a time where I could do anything I wanted to do, and I needed to get ready for that time. And I had to walk on faith because I was seeing people getting beat, killed, beaten, and not being able to do it. Plus, I was being kicked out of places myself. Now, I wasn't in the sit-ins because I was too young, but I was in the sit-ins in a different way. Right. Because a sit-in training was happening at my church. And I, well, while my parents were doing transporting, which I didn't know they were doing, right. of the uh, students from TSU, Fisk, Meharry, American Baptist College, to First Baptist, and from jail to the hospital, wherever, we were at the church watching the training take place. So in, it was just happening. Right. I learned every civil rights song by sitting there listening to them sing it. I got to have Martin Luther King talk directly to me as a church member. Ralph Abernathy, all these leaders were there. So it wasn't just my mom and dad. It was a whole community. Kelly Miller Smith Sr., who was just powerful uh, in the movement. And, And then I was also closer to the students who were getting beaten and, 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 and maimed and, and fight because our ages were a little closer. I was too young to march, right. but they weren't but five, six, seven, eight years older than me. Some right. of them were younger. Right. And like if they were 19, I'm like 12, 13 years old. That's right. six years. Right. And so it all just uh, became a part of my DNA. And I say TSU because TSU brought my parents there. When we were segregated, TSU was my movie theater. It was my bowling ring. It was my swimming pool. They had all that. If it, it shows, movies, mm-hmm. even Jefferson Street was too. Right. But TSU was my safe place. And 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 so, man, you know, uh, it. I didn't know it. Right. I actually fought it. Right. I, there was a time in my life where I, I didn't cut my hair for two years. I wanted to be as far away from a gentry. Mm. And, and it was after I got hurt playing football and couldn't play football again. And it killed that dream. Mm. Uh, it was in college. I right. didn't get to play as a freshman. I let it. But right. I got hurt my next year. And I was lost for a minute. Right. But, but even during that lost period, uh, I was really being found because I was going through another phase of my life right. where, okay, you're not this, you know, when you go to college and you you get to start a couple games in your freshman year right. and 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 you leave home. I played at Florida A&M. Right. I went there for a year and a half where my dad went. And they hated TSU. And TSU hated Florida A&M. And, right. and I still made the team. And I made the travel team. And, and I led them my freshman year. I mean, that was growth. Right. That was growth. And I was on my way somewhere. I didn't know where I was. But I was on my way somewhere. Right. And then it gets taken away from you. You don't understand it at 19 years old. Right. And so, you know, I kind of rebelled. But that rebelling period of my life, mm-hmm. it, it kind of thugged me out for a minute. But it also caused me to have to make a decision. What do you want to be, that or something else? Mm. And I chose the something else. In, this, in, this, in the spaces that you are in, politically, socially, 
many folks in general, but a lot of black folks, I would say, just speaking just as a black man, can find it difficult to remain who they are, can, can you know, find it easier to conform, to make others around them that aren't black comfortable. Have you ever been conflicted with that with your journey in the yeah. roles that you've been in and, and, and how did you remain you or did you find yourself bouncing back and forth in that identity crisis maybe mm-hmm. um, in those spaces and in those type of settings? Yeah, that's another all my life, you know, because it was this perception of me that because of who my parents were that I was rich and and grew up with a silver spoon in my mouth. Mm-hmm. They, they didn't get to live in my daddy's house uh, too long. My dad was a football coach, okay? Right. And it wasn't, it, I mean, he was a great man. I love him to death. He never abused me. It might have looked like abuse, but I needed it. Right. But uh, uh, it, was, it was not a silver spoon life because my dad would not, my parents would not do that. They, they know where they came from and, and they knew that they didn't know anything else. They didn't know anything else. They they cherished right. every dollar, every everything they had, and right. so they, I went to work when I was thirteen. I haven't I haven't been without a job since I was thirteen years old, mm. and it's not because they made me. It's because because they taught me right. uh, that that uh, you had to work for what you get, and right. they allowed me to start working at thirteen. But um, uh, the fact is that that. Um, it's always been difficult uh, to try to that that period I was talking about right. where I told you I thugged out. Right. You know, uh, I was real good at it. But it really wasn't. <laughs> right. It really wasn't who I was, mm-hmm. and my friends understood that, and they protected me from myself during that period. Even even coming up, yeah, I was pretty tough, and right. you know, I wasn't scared to fight and all that, but. Right. Uh, the fact is that even when I was doing all that, I was really trying to just be one of the guys, you know, and, and I never was one of the guys because they wouldn't accept me as just one of the guys. They always looked at me as having the potential to, to, to do something special. To be more. Yeah. yeah. And, and so what I tried for a while was to not be a gentry. Mm-hmm. You know, don't define me as a gentry. Just let me be who I am. Well, who I am is a gentry, and I should be very proud of it. Right. And I am very proud of it. And so when I moved out of that, that realm of thinking and just became very comfortable with me and my skin, then I just, I just started being me. And, and, and the criticisms, yes, I hear them. Right. And he thinks he's that, he thinks he's this. Yeah, I hear it. But the truth is that um, I don't think. I'm anything. I know who I am, mm. and I know what I am, and I know whose I am. Right. And so I just decided to to move forward, and and just try being who I am. And that's a person that cares. Right. I love. I, I I don't like people. I love people, mm-hmm. and and um, and I'm just gonna say it. I'm going on record. I love black people. Mm. I just do. It's to 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 see a culture of people. And a lot of people try to discount it now. Politically, they're trying to take it out of school. No. To see a culture of people that came from slavery to where they are right now, to understand what that took, you got to love it. Right. You got to respect it. And still the fight that it's taking. It's it's a fight today, and you got to respect it. Right. And and if somebody wants to call me a racist, man, you better look up the definition. I'm just a realist. Right. I'm just a realist because I've been a victim of what people think of me because of my color. Right. And, and, and I've got to love a, a, a race of people who have been able to, to grow from that. Mm-hmm. But then that love went to another group of people, and that is the underserved, the poor, mm-hmm. the homeless. Right. Uh, white, black, they're in the same boat. Right. They are, they're, they're discriminated against because of what they don't have. Right. And... And, and it seems like as a, as a, a country, as a nation, we're afraid mm-hmm. or, or, don't, or, or discount them to the point that, that we, won't, we won't do anything to, to move them out of those circumstances. So now I'm, I'm, 
I'm so much more broad than that now. Right. Uh, 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 gay, lesbian, I, uh, disabled. Right. Anybody that I see discriminated against, mm -hmm. I got a problem with it. So that's I think that's a that's a good pivot because you are in the criminal court. You are the criminal court clerk. So yep. you're seeing a lot that's come that's yep. happening within our criminal uh, legal system here in Nashville. Um, and many of those people that are affected the most are poor, black, marginalized, under underserved communities. Um, it is a judicial elections here coming up um, in May here in Nashville. Early voting, I think, is April. Um, what are your thoughts on on where Nashville is in our criminal legal system and how can we improve to eradicate some of those systemic things are in place and have been in place for a long time. Uh, one of might even call it structural racism, especially against black folks in this legal system that we've been under and been penalized by more harshly than our counterparts. Yeah. Well, the fact is the criminal justice system is not fair. And I have two choices. I could get out of it because it's not fair or try to help to make it more fair. And, and Nashville is trying to do better, but the system as a whole is just uh, structured in a way that if you're poor, mm -hmm. uh, if you are underserved, then in the criminal justice system, you're still poor and underserved. Right. Now, here's the part that, that bothers me more than anything in the world. They're more poor white people than black people. They're more white people breaking the law than black people. But when we look at poverty in Nashville, it's majority, the majority are black that, that we see that are really suffering. When we look at the criminal justice system in our jails, over 60%, almost 70% black. are people of color, mm -hmm. yeah, black. Yep. And, and when we see the numbers coming through the courtrooms, they're black. So it's disproportionately, uh, uh, it's, it's, it, Don't it, make no sense. <laughs> it, it, it actually does make sense. It's just wrong. Oh, right. What makes sense is we're arresting more black people than we are white people. We are incarcerating more black people than we are white people. We're letting out more white people than mm -hmm. black through whatever means, legal, lawyers, right. uh, pretrial, whatever. Right. It is disproportionate and it's wrong. And, and it's got to be fixed. You cannot give me an explanation for it other than it's freaking wrong. How do how do we how do we fix it? How do we combat it going forward? Is it does it start with, you know, electing judges and council members? Um, what what does that start for community uh, to be able to combat that systemically and make sure we have the right people in the right decision making uh, seats that those things can change? It starts from the top down. Okay, you got to have a government. Let's stay local right now. You got to have a, a government that believes it. Okay. And it's not questioning whether they do or don't. That's what you have to have. Okay. And then if you go on up, you gotta have a state government that believes it and wants to do something about it. Then you gotta have a federal government. It's got it it takes everybody, but let's stay local. Um it it's not any one body. Right. It's gotta be a culture. It's gotta be a culture change. It's gotta be uh, a, a culture that says we're not gonna we're not gonna accept this anymore. Right. We're not gonna allow it. All right. So somebody might say, well, there are more black people in jail than white because whites are able to get out. They mm -hmm. have resources, whatever. Okay, let's say that's true. Then what we have to do is we've got to provide those same services. That's what you call equity. Mm -hmm. You got to provide those same services for those who can't afford. Right. You got a, a, a public defender. You've got uh, different. You've got uh, ROR. You got all kind of ways to do this. You got mental health right. uh, situations. Uh, I mean, uh, services and and you you got a, a drug addiction. I mean, you've got the services and you've got to 
you've got to be intentional right. about filling the gaps the same way we should be doing with kids. They keep talking about the daddies in prison, the mamas are trying to just hang on, then don't blame the daddies in prison. Right. Don't blame the mamas. Fill the gaps right. and make sure those kids get what they need to be able to to come out of the circumstances they're in, mm -hmm. in spite of it. Well, that's the same thing you have to do with the criminal justice system. And we do it in our office. Right. It's for everybody. Right. But, of course, if you have a disproportionate number, then it's going to look like it's only for one race, but it's not. Right. But that's where expungements come into place. The law says that you shall have your record expunged unfortunately, if, if it qualifies. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, they don't get that message right. when they're in the courtroom. Right. They don't get it. Uh, from the lawyers, and so they don't know when they come out of jail that that record's going to stay there the rest of their lives if they don't come and ask to have it expunged. Right. And so we go out into the community and let them know, mm -hmm. the whole community know, that if you've been to criminal court, then you need to come and check right. and see that that record's still there. Right. If you haven't asked for it to be expunged, then... It's there. Right. That's why you're not getting a job. That's not why you're not getting a housing, right. and you don't even know it. Right. So how can we how can we eradicate those barriers? Wouldn't well, it make sense for a judge or when you in front of you know if you're in criminal court or general sessions, whatever it may be, say hey, this doesn't happen. Stay on your record. Go down to see you know Mr. Gentry and, and his staff. And you, you you qualify for expungement. Why does that not happen instead of them having to, I got to research or somebody, I might find out years later. Because it seems like it's creating more barriers for people who may not have yeah. the resources, Wi-Fi, Internet, to do all these, maybe transportation, to, do it, to, 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 to go do it or think about doing it with so much other things that are happening. Some judges do. Uh, it's also incumbent upon the defense attorneys. Mm. And some of them do. A lot of them don't, and of course, the a lot of the excuses are when you're hurting two, three hundred people through the courtroom mm -hmm. in in one day. Uh, it, it takes time to do that. Right. I, you know, I'm, I mean, that's the, the cost of doing business the right way to me. Right. But the fact is, those things are happening right. when the attorneys are dealing with tons of clients at one right. time. It slips through the cracks. Right. And so where, where you could say, well, that, that's uh, unacceptable, it's still real. Mm -hmm. and, and it's not the primary thing on their mind. So I can't give you the solution. Well, I can give you the solution. They all just do it. Right. And, uh, but the fact is that, that education is power. Mm -hmm. And so we found out that we were averaging about 10,000 expungements a year when we came into the office, and we got up to about 36,000 a year before uh, the uh, COVID hit. Mm -hmm. But we're, we're doing the education. Matter of fact, yes, I was at the show with Lotto and 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 and, uh, and the folk at the municipal. I mean, at the uh, Bridgestone a couple uh, weeks ago, yeah. and and what are the rest of them? Money bag yo and yeah, money bag, yeah. and 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 uh, uh, and uh, pretty shy from Tennessee State University. I'm gonna give her a shout out. She she opened yeah. the show, did a great job, and it's a show I probably wouldn't have just gone to because it was young and right. whatever. But they invited me to go speak, mm -hmm. and they invited me to welcome the crowd. They invited me to make comments about Martin Luther King. Right. Um, uh, weekend, I mean, weekend, I mean, Mar you know, Martin day, King day, day. Yeah. and all those things, which I did, but I also brought my telephone mm -hmm. and gave out my, my telephone number. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do it on this show. I hope I can remember it, uh, <laughs> but gave out my telephone number. Um, and I told them, if you've ever been to the courtroom mm -hmm. Or if you've ever been to prison, or if you know anybody, because I don't want to judge the crowd. Right, right. Or if you know anybody who has been to court, they haven't had the records expunged. Mm -hmm. There are they've lost their voting rights because we do that in my office too, or they've had their license uh, 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 suspended or what have you. Mm -hmm. We do that in my office too. We reinstate. Right. Then call this number. And now don't call it. 
text this number, it's a cell phone, and uh, leave your name and your date of birth, and we'll get back with you quickly. Okay. Because I'm on the job now. Right. My phone started blowing up while I was up there talking. Wow. Just blowing up. And we've got a list of about 60 people right now that we're working with. Some of them were out of county. Some of them had things that couldn't get done. Right. And some of them were expunged. They didn't know it. Right. And we have about 60 people right now that we're working with. Wow. But you've got to be intentional like right. that to be able to help. Right. So we've got to get a system right. that is as intentional from the arrest to the legal representation right. to the judges, even to probation and everything right. else. they got to be intentional. But yeah, go ahead and uh, give us that number. Yeah, I'm going to give the number. Now, this is for anybody who has been in the criminal courts before. I don't care. It's driver's license. I don't care what it is, how minor, whether your case was dismissed or not. First thing, I want you to know that that's on your record until you have it expunged. Okay. Even if it gets thrown out of court, it stays on your record unless you uh, have it expunged. Also understand there's no charge anymore to have your record expunged. So you don't have to pay anybody to do it. You can come do it yourself. And, of course, our office is on the uh, second floor of the A.A. Birch building, and you can have that done any time uh, from, uh, from uh, 8 o'clock in the morning till 4 o'clock Monday through Friday. But if you don't want to come downtown or can't, then I'm going to have you text me. Text me. And the number is 615, this is my work cell, so I have to make sure I'm reading it right, 615-417-6735, 615-417-6735. And this is what I want you to text me, your full name, and if, you were, if you're married, it might need to have your maiden name in there too, and your date of birth. That's all I need, don't want social security numbers, just your name, date of birth. You text me that information. I'll have your callback number because you text me. Right. And if you need to have your records expunged, if you need to get your voting um, uh, rights uh, re restored, mm -hmm. or if you need to get your uh, driver's license reinstated, I can't promise you that in every situation it's going to work. Right. But I can promise you in most situations it works. You don't know and then you try. text me, and I promise you that we will get back with you and uh, let you know what you need to do. The other thing is these charges have to have been uh, created in Davidson County. Okay. Because I cannot do anything out of the county, but we can help you with your voting rights reinstatement, right. even if you are from out of county. Speaking of Davidson County, and we're getting to the end here, Mr. Gentry. I have, so I have to ask you about this. North Nashville native grew up TSU. There's a lot of things happening in North Nashville right now. There's a lot of organizations moving and building community power in Nashville. Um, some would say still a lot of neglects socially, economically, um, in education, in housing in North Nashville. Um, being a native, seeing the different transitions through time um, that most of us, especially my generation, haven't lived long enough to see, right? Um, what are your thoughts on everything that's been happening around just North Nashville? Things like the Driving While Black uh, report, things like the 37208, the most incarcerated uh, zip code in the country. Um, things were also, you know, powerful things like you have Gideon's Army, you have the Black National Assembly, uh, the People's Budget, you have a lot of these great organizations that are coming out of, coming, coming to establish it because of some of the things that are happening, the neglect that, you know, that we're trying to combat as community members and building these different organizations that are combating different things, mm -hmm. uh, focusing on North Nashville specifically. Um, what are your thoughts? Because you've seen a lot. You, you, you've been in these positions. You lived here, most importantly, um, in North Nashville. Yeah. Well, 
If North Nashville had been treated properly or any other parts of the city that look like North Nashville, right. uh, there would not be a need for all these organizations to, to rise up. So for those organizations, I say stay woke, mm -hmm. stay alive, right. continue to rise up until uh, people uh, give North Nashville and other communities like North Nashville the proper attention and 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 the um, <clears throat> the proper um, uh, really just treat us fairly. Yeah. I saw an interstate cut through the heart of a community, mm -hmm. but it still didn't kill us. But it hurt us badly. Right. It hurt us terribly, and and we really haven't totally ever recovered from it. It it uh, it was wrong. It was wrong. I see congressional legislation that's attempting to do it again. Mm. If if you're gonna keep making decisions that divide us. Uh, uh, marginalize us or attempts to divide us and marginalize us, then we got to keep rising up. Right. So, so, there are efforts taking place. I see African Americans coming in trying to do our part, and there are other efforts taking place that are, are taking place under the guy, hopefully it's not guys, but title. Or heading of improving North Nashville. Right. If it doesn't have a component in it that allows people to remain in their communities, remain in their houses, to move into affordable circumstances or affordable uh, homes or housing within the community mm -hmm. that they live, uh, if it doesn't have components in, in it that does not provide for grocery stores and other uh, needs within the community to be established there, um, for kids to be able to walk to school again and mm -hmm. and and live as as a, 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 a family oriented community, mm -hmm. then then it's just wrong. I mean, you're not going to build Jefferson Street back and North Nashville back the way I remember it. Right. I get that, but. If it promotes uh, the opportunity for it to be a thriving community for the same types of people that lived there prior to right. its redevelopment, then I'll take what, what I get. Right. But if it only provides opportunities for people who can afford it, mm -hmm. who uh, who uh, <laughs> who have to be totally educated and trained, and right. and 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 not for those people with uh, who choose to have high school educations right. and and choose to go to not go to the to the level that that right now the community appears to be attracting, then it, it's just unfair. It's unfair. And I'm trying to be nice. That's why I'm stuttering <laughs> here. But it's unfair. And so I want to I wanna end on this question right here, Mrs. Gentry. Nashville is changing a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a lot of growth. Um, for better or for worse, people are being displaced. Yes. Um, people are being moved out. New people are moving in. How can Nashville continue to grow and still grow into a equitable, just, and preserve a community that will be good for everybody and encourage people to move, but also those who have been here, like being you and our families? to still be able to thrive with a new thriving economy and social yeah. system here in Nashville. Yeah. We use the word equitable. We've used that word. And in everything we do, in everything we do, we need to study it 
and create policies where equity is always a part of every decision that is made. You know, there was a president that came up with the term, no child left behind. Mm -hmm. Well, that policy didn't work. Right. And children were left behind. But in our policies as we move forward, make sure in those policies that no one is left behind. If you want to grow, if you want to prosper, if you want to be this big mega city that you are, then develop a plan whereby you take me with you right. and you don't leave me behind. That's our choice as leaders. That's our policy decisions as leaders. And, and if we're not big enough, bold enough, or I would even say uh, 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 willing to do the right thing enough, mm -hmm. then we shouldn't take on those roles because Nashville needs that now more than anything in the world. Mm -hmm. and, and, and being one of the biggest cities in the nation, the it city, if you're not creating growth and in an inclusive, equitable way, mm -hmm. then you're not the it city and you're not what uh, you say you are. And I have to ask this, because this can occur. As myself and others as community members don't see our leaders that in decision in, in decision making um, positions and have the power to make decisions right that affect all of us, if we don't see our leaders choosing equitability and just, what are some ways we can navigate? as community members and in, 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 in build power to get what we know we need that our decision makers are not providing for us? Well, one is to vote for decision makers that, that will provide it and just don't walk into your community and tell you they will. And then, then their excuse is, well, I, I, you know, I just couldn't get the, the, the legislature or the council or, this, or, or the Congress to uh, do it and, and, and make that an excuse. Because the you other, came from a generation that fought. Yeah. Well, Y'all held people accountable. We did. We did. And we, you don't, we don't, but we, I haven't seen that type of aggression. Well, everybody wants to keep their office. Everybody wants to keep their job. They're scared. Mm. But, but the fact is, there's nothing to be afraid about. If people see you uh, out there fighting for them, then, and this is the whole community, right. then they're going to elect you. They're, they're going to want you in office. And, and if they don't elect you, it doesn't end the fight. Right. Because uh, then if, based on what I saw coming through as a young person, if, if they won't let you have it, then you gotta, you got to go get it. You just got to come together. Gotta you can't do it, it by yourself. Can I take it? You got you to go get it. And, and why make me have to do that? Why make me have to do that? Because that's going to make you uncomfortable. Right. Because the way I have to get it is to make you uncomfortable. Right. Because you're just not going to be willing to do it right. unless I make you uncomfortable. And, and so why can't we just all work together and get it done? And, 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 but you know what? We just can't stop. It's, again, it's not going to happen overnight. Right. I'd be retired right now if, if I didn't, if I was not uncomfortable myself mm -hmm. and and the fact is that that uh and and i'm not the only one you now you do know that right there are others like yeah, me for sure uh and both both white and black right who who are really working hard to right. make this a better city a mm -hmm. better nation and so i'm not you know you're interviewing me so i'm right. talking about me but don't right. Don't think that I believe that I can do this all by myself. Right. But if, if, if we have to, then we have to just come together, come together collectively and, and move forward with our own efforts mm -hmm. uh, to, to, to provide what is needed since those that are in the position to do it won't do it. And, and, 
you just have to work harder, man. You know, uh, service is not easy. It's lonely. You know, I could be making a lot more money if I had chosen to go another direction other than politics, just like my counterparts. Uh, we have skills. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't, we're not just politicians. You right, know? right. Uh, we, we have skills and abilities that, that can provide us, us uh, a more lucrative living. Uh, but the fact is that the commitment is there. Right. Um, and and uh, this is what I choose to do, mm -hmm. and this is what uh, you have to choose to do to make a difference. And so uh, with me, uh, like this uh, rap company that's made millionaires, uh, there's no limits. <laughs> there's no limits when right. it comes to the work, the work I'll do. Well, there you have it, people. Criminal court clerk Howard Gentry Jr. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you being here and just your presence, your energy, and uh, what you represent and what you've been able to accomplish and do and inspire for others to do here specifically in Nashville. So thank you. Thank you. And uh, y'all keep, you keep it going because it's podcasts like this. Mm -hmm. It's discussions like this mm -hmm. that really keep the ball moving. Uh, we're going we're gonna to keep yeah. pressure on yes. everything. We're going to yes. keep pressure on all of this. And, yeah. um, and thank you again. And until right. next time. Thank you. All right. All right.